0: Welcome to Inspired Artist Podcast with me, Porter Singer. In this episode, I get to speak with Arjuna O'Neill, whom I am reconnecting with. I've known him for many years. I've known him as a percussionist. He's also a father, a mentor, the founder of a nonprofit called Share Necessities, whose mission is to, quote, bring inner peace to the streets in South Central LA. So they share mindfulness, yoga, and wellness to at risk children. So in the beginning of this episode, Arjuna shares this really beautiful story about approaching a man in Florida, realizing that this man is probably afraid of him and how he changes that narrative in that moment, how he chooses to feel differently about the situation and expect something different. It's a really cool story. I'm excited that we got on tape and that you guys get to hear it. We also got into, which I wasn't expecting, a little bit of his past um, in the Hare Krishna community and how we've had very similar experiences in cult-like settings. I'm very excited to share this one with you. And here we go.
1: All right, well, so besides um, being in front of a jungle or forest backdrop, um, where are you really?
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm currently in Florida.
1: Oh, fun. Yeah, yeah, Am I looking I, at a painting?
2: It is a tapestry, Amazon. Oh, okay,
1: because it's moving, okay.
2: Yes, well, if we were actually out in nature, you know, the trees and the leaves and the branches blow. So what I have is a ceiling fan that gives it that effect. So when people are talking to me, they actually think I'm outside.
1: So cool.
2: A lot of people don't believe it's a tapestry because of the way the light looks, the lighting. And it it
1: looks 3d. I mean, it looks like it has a lot of depth. Sorry, but you were saying you're in Florida. I interrupted you.
2: It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm in Florida. Uh, I think they would call this the West Coast, but it's more, I'm at the bottom. So it's like South, towards, but on the coast, the Gulf Coast.
1: Cool, and you live there now?
2: No, no, I, I, I came at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, uh, all my family, I was the only person that lives in LA. And so all my family is Midwest or East Coast. Uh-huh. And so when everything happened in the uncertainties, I wanted to be closer to my mother and my sister. And during the winter months of Detroit, which is where I'm from, uh, my mother comes to Florida here with my sister for the winter months. And so around that time, January, when we started getting the news, it was like, to me, it was a divine appointment or an alignment to be uh, with family. I was already feeling that call to just spend some time with family. I've been out the West coast, like you said, in the desert, doing all these events and yeah, I was needing that family time. So it all worked out.
1: What is it like being, is it, does it feel like you're back in Florida? Have you spent a lot of time there or just being in Florida right now?
2: I've, you know, my sister's been here for almost 15 years. Uh, I've only come to visit and I probably stayed uh, previous visits. I probably stayed maybe a week. So I've never really been in Florida. like as an actual like home environment uh until the pandemic uh started in uh january and florida is a very interesting state i mean we know i i I don't
1: really i haven't really spent much time in florida
2: yeah well this is definitely uh a very well the, the area that i'm in it's a very uh uh, it's st- strongly supported uh, by um, you know, number 45's uh, followers and supporters. Uh-huh. Um, very interesting. Um, this is also, you know, Florida, this is the side on the side of where Trayvon Martin was murdered a few years back by uh, George Zimmerman. Uh, Florida also has the Stand Your Ground law, which is how George Zimmerman was able to get off on his case. Uh, so it's interesting here being here as a man of color, you know, um, but I've, I figured it, I figured it out how to use my practice, my experiences and just um, what I believe to keep me in a space where I'm always in my heart and thinking of others and how to co-create even in the challenges. So I use all those tools and skills to help me, you know, navigate through the, these challenging times while I'm here in Florida.
1: What was the? I didn't understand the reference. The number forty-five. I'm. Apologize. Oh,
2: that's. Oh, some people you say the name Trump and they lose it. So I just use number four. Oh, number okay. Four.
1: Yeah. Oh, oh, because that's the number of president he is. Yeah. 45. Oh, okay, okay.
2: I think so. I hope so.
1: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah.
2: It's all good. It's all like, good. Like,
1: oh my gosh, is that a type of gun? <laughs> no. Yeah.
2: Okay. But
1: got it.
2: Speaking of guns here yeah. in Florida, the second well, that would have made sense
1: too.
2: <laughs> well, I'm just saying, speaking of guns here in Florida, the second amendment right is one of the most exercised rights that you hear people talk about. They have okay. more gun ranges here. Yeah. You know, like L.A. is full of yoga studios on the West side. <laughs> right. Uh, this area, you'll see a gun range every other light. Um, wow. And it's interesting. Yeah. So it's a different, definitely different mindset.
1: Yeah.
2: So to, to, to be here in Florida and then to know what L.A. is like and seeing the shifts with everything that's happening, the movements and the, all the unveiling of the, the racism and the different uh, issues that we're having as a society.
1: Uh, Do you feel like. Oh, go ahead.
2: I was just going to say to be in LA, there's one, there's one perspective of how things are moving and growing and changing and things are happening. But then here in Florida, there's a totally different mindset and things are moving, but in a different direction and they're moving at a different scale and from a different perspective. So just a lot to wrap your fingers around.
1: For sure. When you have conversations with your sister who's been there this whole time and you've been on the West coast, is it like, I mean,
2: you must have had very different experiences from. Yeah. And, you know, she, um, so my sister works in the medical field. Uh, she takes care of mostly senior elder, elder, um, patients that are, uh, so most she takes of like wealthy people that are transitioning from, uh, home into either they're going into like a hospice or a uh, senior citizens living, or they're coming out and going back to, uh, live with their either their children or their someone in their family but long story short she takes care of the elderly and she always shares with me you know like what she has been exposed to over the years of working in the field here as a black woman and and you know there's a lot of internal systemic racism and and prejudice and but she loves what she does um so even though she has a heart of gold and she takes care of her patients regardless of what skin color they are. She treats them as if it was our own mother. She takes really good care. And so that causes a lot of conflict. Uh, she ends up in a lot of situations where she's being challenged or the other workers who come in and do half a job, they, they look for ways to get her fired or terminated or cause conflict. Um, but other than that, that's what she deals with on a regular basis. Me now being a man, it's a little different.
1: Yeah,
2: uh, I pose a different threat when I step outside, um, and I don't even work here. I mean, I work online. I don't even have to bother anybody, but just, just, just my presence alone. Um, I've, have seen it, you know, um, trigger people, and I've gotten some responses. And at first, I would just go with the flow. You know, I, I'd say I'm gonna stay out of, stay out of the way and just mind my business, and I'll take on whatever comes my way as long as nobody touches me, I'll just keep going. And then one day I had this realization like, you know, well, if if that's the way you see it, Arjuna, and that's the way you allow yourself to, you know, handle it, that's fine too. But then I was like, how will people or yourself ever know anything different than that narrative? If you only allow these things to happen and just act like it doesn't happen. So one day, um, I was at the ocean and I was uh, just meditating and opened my eyes and there was a gentleman standing there. He had a, he was facing the water. He was fishing out here. Fishing is something big. Everybody's, wherever you see a water hole, somebody's there with a fishing pole. So he had on he had his shirt on the back of his shirt. It said, you know, uh, magma make America great 2020. It had all the, you know, the sayings. And I was like, wow, this is interesting that he's 10 feet away from me. And I was like, well, I come out of my meditation and he's here. Hmm. And then, you know, the mind goes and I have my thoughts. And I was like, well, I asked myself, I said, I I can challenge this in in a very loving way. I said, what if I just greeted this person, like just walked up to him in a very friendly, loving, kind way and just saw him as another human being and spoke to him. So that's what I did. And we had, and I captured it on a Instagram live. Uh, and it was real it was a powerful moment because <clears throat> when i did it a lot of people that were viewing the live were like oh man be careful or don't do it right like ah or you know when i kind of panned and showed people what i was getting ready to do you know everybody had their perspective and i said well we all will never know And if, if that's the narrative we all sit with and we just if that's the way the world how do we I, my mind was like how will the world shift or change if we if we're only going to follow the current narratives, right? And just accept them as so. And I was like, I feel like I've been on a spiritual journey long enough to be able to trust in love in my heart and what I've learned over the years. And so I I, I put it to test and I let other people see it in real time. So I approached this gentleman and I said, hey, how are you? And he turned around, he was shocked. You know, he was about five, five, I'm like six, four. <laughs> so I, even though oh, size, I didn't realize
1: I, you were that tall. I okay.
2: Yeah, so I I mean, he's a grown man, so I'm you I stood another... by you,
1: but I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but we all feel the same size when you you know when you're in mantra. It, it, yeah. Everybody feels expanded. You know? <laughs> so that's a different. That's a whole nother. We can talk about that later. But no, it was just really powerful to see. You know, he was thrown off at first. He didn't know what to say. Um, and his first response was, "Well, I'm just waiting for my wife to come back from the gun range." And I was like, wow, <laughs> so said, I'm like, hello, how are you? That's, 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 yeah. So I knew right then I was wow. like, you know what? I said, you just got to hit him with the love right now. If that's where he's coming from. Then he, so instantly I was just like, oh, well, cool, man. I said, I, I didn't want anything. I just came over to speak to you, you know, acknowledge you. I said, you know, um, I was just on, I was like, I was on my Instagram live talking to friends and you know, we were talking about how society has created this narrative that people that believe what you believe or support who you support, you know, clearly it's all over you. And someone that looks like me, knowing the state of Florida and what's happened, and what has happened here and the certain mindsets, I said, but I wanted to to change that narrative in real time. I wanted people to see that you can still treat each other like human beings, regardless of what you believe and what I believe, and we can still co-create. So I said, hey, I just want to tell you, how are you? And I just want to acknowledge you as another human. I don't, I don't really care about what you're wearing. And I was like, how does that feel? And he paused and he was just shocked. He was like, wow. Um, he, and he was like, I, I never really thought about it. But like that, it feels good. I said, I'm just acknowledging you as another human being. How does it feel to be treated like another human? Like just seen as a human. And in that moment, you know, people started putting all the hearts on the, uh, you know, in the live and people were like, wow, that's amazing. So it, it just changed for me. It was a huge awareness and eye opener. Um, because uh, I feel like so many of us, even in our own personal communities or our family dynamics are divided because of the political uh, belief system and where we are putting our attention or who we think could change our our world or our nation. And so um, to have that happen and realize just because somebody believes in something or votes for somebody, uh, there's more to the story. And when you allow the human to human experience and we take away the titles, colors, and all that, all you have is a heart and another heart. And that's what happened in real time. So I I thought that was profound.
1: That was really courageous, wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not, you know, courageous in a sense where obviously he wasn't gonna like assault you, but courageous in a sense that, you know, you didn't know how that was gonna turn out.
2: Yeah. That, well, it was risky just yeah. knowing I'm in Florida. I had a cell phone. I'm big, you know, it could have It could have been, you know, right now, you know, with everybody looking for cell phone moments yeah. you know, to capture to show how intense our society is. Yeah. That's why I knew I needed to move fast. Once I made the introduction and he said what he said, I was like, okay, it's time to activate that heart energy. So, um, but you know, Arjuna, <clears throat> where my name comes from at the Bhagavad Gita is a spiritual warrior. Yeah. Uh, I felt like, well, this, is the environment that I'm in, uh, Dharma or my duty is being called. And it, you know, just like at life, you know, you become a parent, you have to protect, provide. And so there are some things that naturally we're just called to do based on our purpose in life or the choices that we make.
1: Wow. That's really cool. Yeah. The, you know, the conversations and like you said, just seeing people as people, as other yeah. human beings it gets it gets really lost when we when we label people. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. Really. So cool. that's that's Florida for me. That's right. what you're doing
1: in Florida. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Having those uncomfortable conversations. <laughs>
2: yeah. Hey, the work is always it's always accessible to us if we choose to to you know to see it that way um, and I just <laughs> I just believe that I don't have to find myself you know stuck in in the current narrative it's a choice yeah as ugly as it is it as ugly as it may seem or feel or uncomfortable as it may feel there's always a, a, a choice and I always believe that perspective having a certain perspective allows you to access those different choices and options
1: right right I mean and it takes it's hard because in order to communicate with somebody that maybe doesn't view you as human as they are. Um, You have to really come from a higher perspective and, you know, tap into that heart space and that forgiveness. And I mean, sometimes that's, that's really, I mean, I imagine that must be really uncomfortable, but yeah. yeah, People aren't going to respond to your, to your anger in the same way as they will, you know, to like a conversation like that.
2: Yeah. And and, you know, it's, for, for for me too, you, you know. Um, I, I look at it like I'm a human being, and I have my experiences, and I'm not the only human being on this planet. And so, one of the perspectives that I have is, if I go through what I go through, somebody out there is going through what they're going through, right? But in addition to that, someone has those challenges even worse than myself, even if it's coming from a place of experiencing racism or or you know prejudiced or unjust there are still other people that are going through it far greater than myself and mm-hmm. so with that awareness it allows me to embody a certain level of compassion kindness and understanding but you got to have it for yourself first yeah right like sure. a lot of the things that we want to see in the world we don't have those qualities or we don't address those qualities within ourselves and then we look outside for those situations to be fulfilled. And what we learn, you know, over time, you can get a quick fix, but it's it's temperamental.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you have to have that compassion for yourself. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Ooh. Gosh, emotional,
2: I think <laughs> emotional I think intelligence.
1: Sure. We, we did it. That was great. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Emotional intelligence is 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 one of my so you know you know I work with kids, I work in schools. So I teach mindfulness. I actually didn't know that. No. Oh yeah. A lot of people only know me as the drummer. Yeah. Um uh, at all the festivals. But And I knew he was a
1: father, but I didn't I didn't know about that. So yeah.
2: Yeah, and so that's actually how I started working with kids. Um Detroit is a very violent uh, city. And anytime you let your kids go outside to play, uh, unauthorized they're at risk you know and now it's not even just in detroit i mean anywhere now i mean i have had friends even in very affluent neighborhood that that have been known to be crime free but things are changing now um and so just growing up in detroit raising my kids in the beginning i never let them go outside alone Mm -hmm. and because i never let them go outside alone i got to meet all the kids in the neighborhood and what I learned was that a lot of kids just didn't have, not just father figures. We already knew that that was something that was common, but just to have that male, positive male role model around, like they didn't have the uncle or the big brother. Mm-hmm. So um, I lived on a block that was predominantly uh, single moms, single mom homeowners. And it was all these kids. And so because I was always with my kids, I was like, well, just become the neighborhood like. Daddy daycare, and there's a lot of vacant properties. That I, I don't know if you're aware of the housing market. It's been talked about a lot in Detroit.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've w- I've watched a couple documentaries. Yeah. My ex-husband was obsessed with Detroit. He, he loved yeah. it.
2: <laughs> I think we even <laughs> talked about that man. Before. He knew I was from Detroit. Yeah. And so, um, and so I there was two vacant houses on both sides of my house, and. I got tired of like dealing with like squatters and drug dealers and all these different people using the houses for all these wrong things. And so, what I did was I fixed up both of the houses and turned them into um, areas where the kids could play safe zones. Oh. So, uh, one of the houses, we boarded them up, cleaned up the yards, and one had like I put a, a volleyball net up, the other yard we used for football. And um, so, the kids just could play safe. Nobody had to play in the streets. And it became a thing. And then, when I realized, that I actually had this, this gift with children. I think it was because I, I never really got a chance to be a kid myself. I grew up really fast hmm. um, based on how I was raised. Uh, I just, and then I would go to school with my kids and saw the same, the same need. Like I'd go to school with the kids and I realized other kids would look at me like, wow, there's a dad in the building. Like when I would come in there, they were like, there's a father in the classroom. Hmm. And so I just kept going. And, and, and eventually I PTA, I joined, and before you know it i'm like I got offered this seat to really like work with kids, so I went back and got some certifications and uh, started working with kids and teaching the same you know I, I was a certified i'm a certified yoga meditation facilitator, and uh, I just wanted to work with youth. I was working with my own kid, and so I, I took these same tools that I was sharing with my kids into the public schools, and then one thing led to another and now I'm actually I teach in a lot of schools in LA. Like right now, I'm virtually teaching online, oh, really? but I teach teachers, facilitator staff, and students how to use meditation and mindfulness uh, as ways to deal with these current times. And just also just these are the skill sets that we need when life throws those curveballs. And I was like, well, if we can teach the kids these tools early on, we don't have to wait for things to be at this dire or like catastrophic moment. You know, how can we work with mental health? It was like, give the kids these skills now. So when they get older, we make better adults.
1: That's so cool. Yeah. I, so. I think, I think you had talked to me a little bit about that before now that you're, it's sort of I'm, yeah, I'm it reminded. was, it, it was,
2: it was brief because you, yours I think your son was, it was like little one at the time. Yeah. Running around. And I think I kind of, yeah. You know, we would have those little quick moments in between setups and things like that.
1: That's so cool. But I, I used to do that too. I mean, not, not as uh, many, it doesn't sound like you have a much wider network, but that's when I first took my, my teacher training um, or it was like, it was like a kid's yoga teacher training. People just started asking me to teach for like these after school programs and the preschool. And I was like, wow, I guess I'm a kid's yoga instructor now, you know? <laughs> um, but I did that for a few years. It helped me being a parent Yes. For sure.
2: Yeah. There is the benefits that come with it, you know, for your own family, you know, you learn a lot yeah. of patience and resist, resilience.
1: Yeah. So did you, it sounds like when you had your kids, you had already kind of started your, your spiritual journey. Did you?
2: Yeah. I so was, I was born and raised in the Hare Krishna uh, movement. Right. Or okay. faith. Um But I lived on the east side of Detroit. Uh, here it is is you know what is known as a hindu uh spiritual practice but it's just an it it, it derived in india yeah. um but it's a vedic it's it falls into like the vedic tradition uh which is in india but it's not hinduism but that's what most people connect it to because of india but i was born in a uh, the hari krishna movement which some describe it as the bhakti-based practice. So, but at that time, my dad was part of one of the biggest drug cartels in the '80s. On top of his spiritual life, so he had a double life, and yeah, I was raised.
1: That was pretty on, common for the '80s, I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, and I and I was raised the same way. So I was raised. You know, we we go to the temple on on Sunday. We chant, we pray, and I was, I was born and raised a vegetarian. So certain things were already implemented. But then Monday through Saturday, you know, I my daddy would bring me with him to accompany him and show me the ropes. I didn't know that I was being trained to be next at the throne. Uh, of course, that wasn't something that I would have chose, but I wanted my dad's love and I saw all my brothers. And so you automatically just, you know, for me, it was like, well, I just wanted dad's approval. And I wanted to be a part of the the family uh, functions. And so I, I just accepted it, even though it, didn't, it never really felt true in my heart. So I, I never gave up the practice of, of bhakti or kirtan chanting. Um, but then I started experiencing the same thing that we're seeing in the world within inside the Hare Krishna movement, you know, the, the racism and, and the, the neglect. And, and, and no one really taught, I think at the time, my family or my mom and I and I have a sister and a brother. We were like the second or third black only family in the movement at the time in Detroit. So there was never really conversation on how to apply these practices living in the heart of Detroit.
1: But Detroit is mostly black. What, what was right. the community?
2: Well, the temple community was predominantly white and Indian. Wow. Um, but Detroit is predominantly black, but it's also white. So it's mostly okay. predominantly white and black. Um, and at that time, yeah. So,
1: wow, that's in- what an interesting community yeah. to to be part of in Detroit. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. And so you can only imagine, you know, for me, like what were the conversations in the neighborhood? Like people were like, well, "What's going on?" You know, we dressed. My mom dressed a certain way. She followed the practice, so she dressed in attire that didn't at all resonate with anything around me. So as a kid, I was always bullied and picked on and teased, and you know. Uh, my mom didn't drive my dad, my mom split when I was uh, one. So we caught the bus everywhere. And so on Sundays, my mom would be dressed in her Indian attire, you know? Um, and you know, people just are like, what is going on? (laughs) So it was hard. It was hard, but somehow I was able to get through it, uh, move through it, grow through it and have all these amazing stories to tell.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm my 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 that's that's so I I I've, I've, I love doing this podcast because I learn so much about people. But I'm just and and I laugh because I not because it's necessarily funny, but I don't know. I I think everything. I think life is funny. Um, it's like cute. God, God humor.
2: <laughs> oh no, I get it. i Chuck. I laugh at the story every time I tell it. Like, man, but, but it's like, like flashbacks.
1: you're born into into a place that is one of the few places in the United States where you wouldn't be a minority, right? But then you're you're in a community where you're a minority.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: that's really that's really interesting to me. Um, wow. So is that still something that your your family is part of?
2: Just my my so my whole family no. Just my mom. So it was my dad. My dad met the Hare Krishnas at a university lecture that he was attending, where he met the 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 guru or the person responsible, the priest that was responsible for bringing the Hare Krishna movement to America in the early seventies. Uh, okay. Um, and then. From there, he introduced my mom to the practice. Uh, but definitely he put a spin on it, a twist. And like you, you see in a lot of these spiritual communities, a lot of unveiling has been happening. Yeah. truths are coming out and things have been exposed. So that's kind of like what happened for us. And that's what happened with the 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 Hare Krishna movement. Um, a lot of different things that were happening, a lot of sexual abuse and just defile and and, and things that weren't aligned. Hmm. Um, And, you know, you see it growing up as a kid. It's interesting, you know, when you're a kid and I don't know if anybody's listening to this, when you're a kid, you see things, you don't understand them, but then there's a part of you as a kid that, you know, it just, something doesn't align. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. But who do you tell, right? When when you're a kid, it's like, who can you really like, as kids, we talk about it, but then well, who's the up that we can tell.
1: Right. Well, especially if that's normal.
2: Right. You know, so yeah, you, now you feel stuck trapped. You don't know what to believe. Nothing feels right, but you don't have a voice. And so <clears throat> that can bring on a lot of different internal suffering, you know, depression, uh, suicides. I mean, just self hate. Um, I experienced it all. Um. I never got into the suicidal state, but I know a lot of kids that grew up in the Christian movement with me did. You know, I lost a lot of good friends um, just because nobody listened. And to this date, they had nobody that really took uh, leadership and, and confronted these, these acts, unjust acts to these children, all these children. Yeah. And um, yeah, so, you know, it, it, that in itself made me as a parent have a zero tolerance for anything around kids that was dangerous, harmful, you know? So i ever since I've had my children, I've always been an advocate for youth.
1: Hmm. That's really
2: yeah.
1: cool. Yeah, there's so much that's come, that was coming out um, in the, the Kundalini Yoga community recently, you know, and I'm actually, the next conversation I'm having is with somebody who grew up, um, in, in that community. It's my friend. Yeah. Um, but uh, this is, you know, the same themes that not a lot of listening, but now um, there, there is more listening going on. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I, I got really interested in, I don't know if you would consider it a cult, but I mean, we, we sort of, we throw that term around, um, you know, that the, the, the or whatever it was a cult or but different yeah. cults. So I started listening to this cult podcast um, just to familiarize myself with what what that meant and what other people's experiences were of it. And I remember listening to one um, the kid who who grew up in the Hare Krishna community.
2: Yeah, yeah. You, really, you, there's so many different layers to this stuff, and and, and you know it's interesting how people uh, they fight it, you know, when they hear about it, and yeah. What I always find intriguing is, just like religion, right? When we talk about religion or spiritual practices, all these different spiritual practices, from Buddha, um, Buddhism to Taoism to Christianity to Muslim, like the underlying spiritual teachings are very similar, right? There's 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 a correlation, mm-hmm. and so when you hear about these these cults and these things happening, uh, you know the the abuse and the, and the, and all the different things there, again, there is a, there's an underlying, there's a similarity across the board. It's like, how is everybody like, so it's like, how is everybody making this up? How can it always just be, oh, it's the same symptoms, right? You see the same same virus. But what I learned is that it's just like, I feel like like what we're dealing with as a, as a nation, our political uh, system, it's like, When these things are exposed you gotta it has to be torn down completely and dismantled and then rebuilt but that's where people have the the hard time breaking breaking the old mold to put something new in
1: one moment my son is asking me a question um thank you
2: yeah no worries um
1: yes it, it i think that there's a fear of loss i think that people feel like if they admit to some fault in a system that the things that they like about it are going to disappear too
2: yeah or or, or yeah or than what, you know, some of this is something that me and my mom talk about all the time. You know, my, cause my sister, I have a sister a year younger than me and I got an older brother. Uh, my sister was, she was impacted by it in a way that she didn't really continue to further the practice when she was old enough. Um, and something that we talked about, especially being here, uh, quarantining, we're all together, right? So me, my mom, my sister. So there, there's nowhere to run. All we can do is talk about our lives. And so there's been conversation of like, well, well, mom, how, how, how did you not see this? You know, my sister would ask, like, how did you not, And why did you not leave? And listening to my mom, just observing, and what you realize, my mom was young in her twenties and she didn't, she had dedicated her life to this practice. She'd given giving it her all. So it's like what I was able to gather from her story was like, well, what do you do then? Right? So if somebody's believed this all this time, yeah. then you're your questions, it questions your whole life, like everything about you. And I think that's the hardest part for most people. It's like, I'd rather take the blame, the shame versus just being this lost soul out here. And then where do you pick up and where do you go from there? Because when you do your background, you'll realize that all these organizations or spiritual, whatever you want to call them, yeah. they have their dark closets.
1: Yeah. How did, how did you contend with that?
2: Um, me personally, I talk about it. You know, I used everything. I used my size. I use my strength. I use my will. You know, I, I was never, once I hit my, my, my late teens, I started, uh, bodybuilding. So I was always a big guy. And so I would, you know, I would question. I'd go I started asking people questions. I started asking like hey I'm old enough now. Like you you can't keep shoving this, sh- you know, excuse my French, this shit. Yeah. You know.
0: It's
1: okay, the podcast you, is explicit.
2: <laughs> okay, yeah.
1: You won't you won't be beeped
2: out. <laughs> yeah, so I was like you can't keep shoving this shit down my throat. like come on, I'm I'm around now. Like you I'm old enough We're grown. Like, let's, let's talk about it. And so um, being able to address it, but also I understood that these are human beings, again, going back to the human, right? The human flaw. uh, And and I was able to separate the spiritual current or the spiritual frequency from the human frequency. Um, And when I was able to do that, it was allowed, I was able to just find the practice for myself and tap into what it was from the practice that attracted me, which was the the, the mantra, the kirtan, the singing, the playing. Um and I left everything else alone. You know. Um and I was able to take the teachings and 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 find the the, you know, I was able to find how to use the teachings in the way they were supposed to be used. You know, I had no motives. I, I wasn't trying to become a guru, I wasn't trying okay. to lead a, a tribe or take advantage of anyone. I just simply loved, you know, being able to bliss out and play mantra music. So that was where I stayed, and so that's how I'm able to still, you know, honor those those <coughs> those parts of it. Um, yeah, there was a little, you know, I, I felt myself separate to a degree, mm-hmm. but um. you you know, it's, uh, it's no different than, like I said, what we're dealing with as a society It's like, it's, it feels bad. It's wrong. and, and, And we want answers, but that how, how long will I carry this hate or hurt or suffering because I didn't get the answers that I wanted, or because of the things that happened, like at some point, when do I free myself? Yeah. Right. Um, because I, I I was like I, I don't want to be one of the kids that I've heard stories about where they've carried it for so long and then they're bitter or they commit suicide or they're depressed. Or they're, I was like, nah, I gotta find another another way to cope with this or grow through this. Yeah. From so I just started what I started doing was reaching back out to all the youth and I started publicly saying certain things and the youth that grew up around me they're like or the years before me they're like wow are you're you using your voice. And that's how I, I was able to give back and help. And by doing that, it helped me. Um, so, yeah. Yeah.
1: I was in, I was doing a breathwork session with my friend a few years ago, like she, or a few years ago, a few weeks ago, she, she was leading it, I was doing the breathwork and it, it gets you into this kind of, almost psychedelic kind of space. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and the, the message I got, cause I was having issues with my, my dad Um, which I just sort of see as parallel to what you just were saying, like that I was upset with him for not being able to love me in the way that I wanted him to and, or express it. I know he loves me, but what the message that I got in the breath work was like, you, you have to be the one to show people how to love because you know more, you know, they don't have that capacity yet.
2: So, Yeah. yeah. And then everybody has a different perspective of what love is. Right. right? Yeah. Um, a lot of the kids that I grew up around, love had a very de- defiant and dirty description hmm. because some of the abusers, that's the way they hmm. introduced it was, Hey, you know, this is from love. This is from care. Like, they made you think it was natural. This is how it was supposed to work. Right. You know, you, 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 that's what you, you hear that a lot. When you learn about people that have been sexually abused, their abusers always make, they attach the good feelings to it. Or, or, Oh, because I care or you're special, you know? And so then we, we wonder why as we get older and you hear about these relationships that are dysfunctional,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, and people think everybody has the same meaning of love or what care is or, this person special to me.
1: Mm.
2: Some of these words, we use them very loosely and we think collectively, everybody's on the same page, but completely right. different. Cause my definition of love is so not what the average person thinks. Right. You know, love for me meant keep your ass 150 yards away from me, you know, um, because my dad showed it to me in a very toxic way. And then growing up in the movement was another toxic way. And, yeah, so I had, uh, I spent about 10 years trying to really unlearn and relearn love.
0: Huh. So you were
1: in it your whole life, yeah? Like?
2: Yeah, it's been a part of my life, right now to this day my mom still chants, still does the office, she's still an active member.
1: Oh, okay. okay. So mm-hmm. she sees she sees some of it, but she also Feels a value
2: in it and continues. Yeah, uh, interesting. Yeah, it, it is what it is. I don't judge it for it. You know, I, I've learned to understand that to ask somebody to just take 30 years of, you know, we're, we're not talking about like a job, we're talking like spiritual belief. Like this is supposed to be yeah. the highest path that we can take, right? Is our spiritual practice. So to ask somebody to just can it after 30, 40 years, that's a tough one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I just well, had to f- find forgiveness yeah. and be able to love her regardless. Yeah, because I know deep down inside, my mom would have not just like offered us up into this this type of lifestyle if she knew.
1: Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. You, I see that with a lot of people who have been practicing Kundalini yoga for their whole yeah. adult lives. You know, it it yeah. it's so wrapped up in who they. Think they are, you know, yeah. like it's your identity. It's very scary to, and mm-hmm. you, do, you know, realistically, if if that's how you connect and that feels good to you, then, you know, you don't need to give it up. But right. I think being able to see it clearly is definitely yeah. helpful.
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, you um, you have to. Ask, I mean, for me, I just ask myself those questions. What would I do? You know, mm-hmm. like, what you know, I was able to ask myself from a perspective of my mom, like, well, what, what would I have done? You know, or what would that be like if I was in that position
1: hmm.
2: and how can I have some type of understanding, compassion? Because like I said, in order to give it, we have to find it in ourselves first. Yeah. So like even your shift, you know, um, I read a little bit about it on Facebook and I was like, Oh, okay. And I, I, I wanted to commend you for, taking that big leap and standing in your power and what you believe to be true. You know, I heard things about three H O, you know, because I recorded with White Sun and we won right. the Grammy and then yeah. I had my own experience with how I was treated and notice I just disappeared. <laughs> right? Things just happened. I was like, Oh wow this and then that happened and yeah. but you know, um I, I I believe in choosing my mom used to always tell me, you know, choose your battles wisely, you know. I was able to make it out of there with just the experience that I had and what I heard, but mm-hmm. um, out, outside of, yeah, you know, outside of the music, I never really bothered anything further, but I saw. Yeah.
1: yeah. I was
2: able to see the same thing that I saw growing up. So I was like, ah, yeah. Yeah.
1: But it you was know. new for me. So I didn't see so clearly at first. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, why- I mean, I, Mm-hmm. Oh, I was going to say my my kids have the same kind of thing that you do because they, you know, they, they grew up in it. I mean, yes. they're, they're very young, so it's not like it's going to be their whole childhood, but you know, they're, they have the names, so they, yes. they still have the, the remnant, you know, yeah. the residue of, of that, that uh, that they get to live with and tell their story about.
0: So.
2: Yeah. And, you know, and then we get to ask ourselves, you know, um, when you think about life and all the different tragedies across the globe, you know, like, why are we here? Why, why is this happening to this person or to me? Right. It's um, being able to look at it and try to figure out how to understand how this circumstance has some validity or it it serves some greater purpose. Uh, (laughs) That's always the space I find myself like, Hmm. Why did I have to go through
1: that? Hmm.
2: What's the message behind it? And how do I use my story?
1: Yeah. Well, interesting that you saw it so clearly because of your past.
2: Yeah. And and I I think for me, what I got from that is that suffering is all around us. Hmm. And some of us have to have the experiences to help others. Mm -hmm. So some of us, what's that saying? Take one for the team someone takes one for the team. So we are, someone has to have the experience in order to help change it or uh, direct other people, you know, teach other people. Um, So, you know, I've learned to stop fighting with it from, from a, 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 from how would I say it from an intellectual perspective or from an emotional perspective. And I start looking at it from a spiritual perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. You know,
2: um, because, it, the, uh, so the, because next, been,
1: the next way uh, to look at things, yeah, yeah. So, what were you going to say, sir?
2: I was just thinking. I was like, hmm. You, you know, the things they say the things that don't kill you make you stronger. I mean, that's not always a, a beautiful place to be in, but um definitely see the strength and yeah. and and the value of me being able to use my voice to help others that have experienced the same thing or taking those experiences that I had as a kid and now working within the schools, you know, you can see signs, Mm -hmm. you know, like I can go into a school and sit in an auditorium with 3000 kids and be able to pretty much call out which, which kids are going through some really dark times within the household. Yeah. Um, And sometimes, you know, you see things you don't want to see, but Life, right? You can't save everybody, but mm-hmm. you, you you can just use your voice to be a light.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Arjuna, for for being willing to do this and and share with me. This has been um, really fun for me. <laughs> I hope.
2: Yeah. Um. Like I said, you know, I, I I for me it was like, I when I when I saw the notification and got tagged, I was like, oh wow. But then when I connected, you know the experience you recently had and the transition you just made. I was like, mm, that's, that's another warrior. I'm like, I know that story. Mm. I don't know it to the degree you tell it, but I know that story. Like I know that transit, I know that space. So I was like, that's another hero.
1: Hmm. It's funny. Cause I had no idea we were going to have this conversation, which is another fun part of the podcast.
2: Well, yeah, I was like, "Let's go." Yeah, I didn't either, but you know, I I trust spirit. You know, Um, I trust the alignment. I trust the connection. So, yeah, and I I know of you, and I've always had nothing but uh, good vibes. And and we've always had. I I felt like to me, all of our encounters were always elevated. They were always conscious. So,
1: awesome. Well, if people want to find out more about what you're doing or follow what you're doing, how would they keep in touch with you?
2: Oh, wow. Well, my personal um, platform, you know, everything is social media oriented now. Uh, it's at Arjuna underscore O'Neill on uh, Instagram. And then uh, the nonprofit work that I do working with the kids is share-necessities.org. That's right.
1: Mm-hmm. I know that one. Well, okay. Yes. I will share both of those. Definitely connect with him if you're interested in participating yes. and uh, following following his journey. Um, thanks again. I'll uh, let you know when it comes out.
2: Yeah, and thank you. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Have a great week.
2: Are <laughs> right, you too? Take care. Bye
0: thank you for listening to our podcast inspired artists please remember to subscribe and rate the podcast wherever you're listening it helps
2: other people find it thanks